shoes were constantly coming, constantly covering us up and we spitting and, and swallowing water. And I'm thinking to myself, if he does even give me a two second head start, where am I gonna go? I'm locked up like a dog, I can't escape. to fight this water all night. Where is everybody? Why are we alone? I was not thinking death ever. I was thinking life and live. We gonna make it. This is I Survived. fishing out in uh, Lake Sabine for every Saturday. Uh, it was like a family time together. We would go out and and just enjoy the, the day and enjoy each other fishing and, and just, you know, having fun. Uh, it was myself uh, and my wife, Carolyn, uh, my oldest daughter, uh, Sherry and her husband Cedric and it was my baby daughter Leatrice and her husband Christopher. Well, on the weekends we always call daddy look and see if he's gonna take us fishing in a boat if not then we you know go to the bank. Um, well anyway that day it was a normal day. Everybody had their fishing rods in the water, and we played around a little bit and laughed. We were out, I guess, about two and a half, three hours. I guess about seven, uh, the, the, the waves started getting big. It wasn't the weather, it was the waves. And a big wave came into the boat. And I asked Chris to check the bottom of the boat to see how much water uh, got in it. And uh, he, he looked and he said, no, we're good. About 10 minutes later, 15 minutes later, another big wave came. Big wave came through water in the boat. And it was real, these little ferocious looking waves. And by then, it's like my sister jumped up and we had a little white bucket in the boat. And I could actually remember her scooping water. So I said, no, it's time to go. So I cranked the boat up. And uh, when I cranked it, it started. And when I tried to put it in forward, the engine quit. And another wave came after that. Cranked it again. Started, but it wouldn't go. And my daddy trying to turn the boat on. And Chris saying that he couldn't pull the anchor up. And I can remember my father saying, cut the rope. More and more water was getting in the boat. And that second time I tried to crank the boat and it, and it, it cranked, but it wouldn't go. And when the wave came in, throw the water in the boat, it made the back of the boat uh, getting real close to the water. And the boat had never done that before. Start up and uh, to go forward and quit had never done that. So he said, okay, y'all put your life jackets on. If you can get to a phone, somebody call somebody. Cedric got on the phone and dialed 911. He had the phone up to his ear and then all of a sudden, the boat just flipped. Uh, it didn't just go down, it completely flipped and throwed all of us out of the boat.
about nine o'clock is when we'd start our job. And that night just happened to be the night that I was scheduled to be up in the tower. And uh, there's not a lot of interaction with the inmates when you're up in the tower. So most of the inmates were, you know, going to sleep and getting ready for the next day. Officer Jason was uh, in the tower with me that night. You know, he's he's a good kid. You know, he's 21, he's new. Jason and I were talking um, when a buzz came over the speaker. And a buzz usually lets us know that somebody's at the gate that needs to be popped through. And we do this only for the officers. We don't do it for the inmates. I asked him, I said, you know, who is it? And he said, I don't know, it looks like Officer out, um, Martin. And my stomach just kind of started turning. It just didn't feel right. So here comes up this officer, so we think, and he rears back with a 30-inch industrial paddle that kind of looks like a um, spatula, but they're used in the kitchens for stirring and everything. And he, you know, looks at me and said, oh, you got complacent, and rears back and hits Jason upside the head, crushing his eye orbital. I you know, thinking to myself, what's going on? Well, I gotta stop this guy. So I get in a, you know, football stance and I tackle him and he grabs my head and shoves it into his knee and I go down on the ground. Me and Jason both were handcuffed behind our backs and it's not till 10 or 15 minutes later that we realized that, or I realized that this is an inmate and not an officer. Of course, I get handcuffed first, and Jason's screaming, and he's yelling, and he's bleeding, and I'm trying to figure out, asking what's going on. You know, let's talk about this, you know, and He's, he's telling me to shut up. And then he grabs the, you know, the gun that was unloaded and the bullets in the magazine and he starts putting the bullets into the magazine. And yeah, you know, I'm thinking, you know, I'm dead. You know, what's going on here? How can I defuse it? How can I fix this? After he gets the gun uh, loaded, he made several phone calls to an inmate in the kitchen, uh, inmate Coy. several contacts with inmate Coy saying okay it's time for you to come up here and um, me and Jason were forced downstairs with the AR-15 at you know at our backs and our heads And while this is going on, there hasn't been called an emergency response yet. So nobody knows what's going on, except for me and Jason. He told Jason to hold open the door. And so I'm laying there next to Jason. I'm like, you know, the door's being held open. Inmate Wassner's firing rounds from the AR-15 into the yard. He's covering the yard, firing shots at other officers. Uh, 
to allow his partner, inmate Coy, to make it from the kitchen to the tower. And I'm going, this is not good. You know, and please don't hit any other officers. You know, I, I, I hope that this inmate can't shoot right. He got his partner, uh, inmate Coy, to get into the tower and then the door shuts. And what I remember of the academy is that, you know, if you're taking hostage, there's no negotiating. So what does that tell you? Okay, I'm dead. They're not no gonna negotiate my life. The waves were constantly coming, constantly covering us up and we spitting and, and swallowing water. So um, I knew my wife couldn't swim, so immediately I'm, I'm up trying to find her and everybody else trying to keep them from panicking and get their life jackets on. Don't panic. Get your life jacket on. The front, the front part of the boat was up out of the water, uh, sticking up. And we were able to hold on there and uh, able to get up right there on the top of it. Two people were able to get up there comfortably. And uh, they were taking turns at first. My husband was the smallest of all of us. And he sat there and he said, I can make it. I think I can make it to shore. And I said, Cedric, they tell you when the boat capsized, stay with the boat. And Daddy kept saying, stay with the boat. Somebody's going to come for us. We still got daylight, at least an hour and a half. Somebody got to see us. We're not that far uh, from the bank. About a mile, mile, maybe a mile and a half. Everything seemed to be going along pretty good until it started getting dark. And when it started getting dark, I knew nobody wasn't going to see us. So it's time to keep encouraging one another, keep talking, keep talking, you know, just keep talking. full moon, sky was clear, we could see the stars, it was a beautiful night. Me and Chris were right next to each other, so we talked and kissed and, you know, and then after a while, you know, every now and again, he'd pray and Jack would pray or Cedric would pray. Um, the only person that I was worried about was mom because, you know, that's mama. Um, but when she she was holding on pretty good and you know daddy was taking care of it, he you know he held on to her as long as he you know as long as he could and um the whole time she'd say i'm okay i'm okay mama you okay yes i'm okay Tried to get my wife up there, but she never could get up there. Every time she get up, she slide back down. Every time we get her up there, she slide back down. So I was just there with her, holding her, talking. We're just talking. You okay? We're going to be okay. Y'all hold on. We're going to be all right. So I don't know what time it was. My daughter called me around to the other side of the boat and I said baby you okay she said yeah I'm good I'm good I said well hold on right here I'm gonna go around and see what whichever we want and I'll be right back so I was gonna go around and 
I guess I just thinking they want me to try to go around but get up on the top to try to help pull her up as soon as I left. Uh, to go around on the other side. I heard, I heard my baby girl calling the mama, you know, mama, mama, because she was holding her by a life jacket. And by the time I got back around there, she, she was gone. I said, where is she, where is she? And I finally spotted her. She was about 10 yards away. She was face down, and I got over there. He said, she not breathing, y'all. She not breathing. And when he said that, it was like we were all frozen, you know? And I was like, not my mama, Lord. Not my mama. He kept saying, Callan, Callan, baby, what you doing? Why you doing this to me? And I grabbed his jacket and I pulled him to the boat and he was holding my mother and she was laying flat down in the water. over at Jason because we're sitting next to each other and I just see all this blood just coming down his face and he was in and out of consciousness and you know I, I that kind of like took over him like a caretaker I'm not sure Jason's gonna make it how can I get myself out of this you know what can I do to get out of here. I wonder, you know, if my family knows what's going on, have they been notified? Where are they? Wasser and Corey are laughing and joking about shooting rounds at the officers. Inmate Wasner um, then gets a phone call from our lieutenant, and they're asking him what does he want, you know, let's resolve this. And, of course, you know, inmate Wasner is going, nah, you know, we want something different. I'm not sure yet, but we'll let you know. was kind of paranoid, you know, thinking that, you know, snipers will start shooting. So inmate Wasser forced me to take off my pants. Well, he took off my pants and my boots and tossed them over to inmate Coy and said, you know, go downstairs and get these clothes on so that they don't know who you are. So... While inmate Coy was downstairs changing in my clothes, inmate Wasner had us had me and Jason in the corner, and Jason's going in and out of consciousness. And Wasner decides that you know he's gonna sexually assault me. You know, working in a prison, I knew that this could happen, and so I always told myself, you know, what would I do if this was ever to happen? Well, I have two violent inmates in the tower with me. I don't know what they're in for. I mean, these guys aren't in there because they miss Sunday school. getting sexually assaulted by inmate Wasner, I didn't really make any noise except for telling him no, 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 please don't, please don't. 
but it was more like a whisper that only he could hear. I didn't want the other inmate to know because I didn't want it to become a free-for-all. If the other one knew that the other one had raped me, they might say, oh, well, you know, we'll keep raping her. But if the other one doesn't realize what the other one's done, then I have a better chance. Anything that Wasner would say or do, Coy would just agree and agree. So, and make Coy takes us downstairs. Jason's bleeding still. Jason's put into the corner of the staircase and, you know, I'm telling Coy, please don't, please don't. You don't want to do this. You know, I'm thinking of everything I can. And needless to say, I got sexually assaulted by inmate Coy. I'm still hopeful that, you know, this will just, you know, stop in a couple hours. They're gonna come in, guns barreling. They're gonna make their way into this tower. They're gonna kill both inmates and we're gonna get up and walk out. You know, happy ending. But it doesn't happen. kept saying, Callan, Callan, baby, what you doing? Why are you doing this to me? And I grabbed his jacket and I pulled him to the boat and he was holding my mother and she was laying flat down in the water. And I kept saying, Daddy, pick her head up. Pick her head up out the water, Daddy. What I could do, she was gone. So, I started thinking about the rest of them. When we first went in the water, it was cold. We were shivering, teeth clacking. It was cold. But then after a while, you just don't feel it no more. I was just thinking, keep breathing, keep holding up, keep your head above the water, and we're going to be okay. We got to, my girls got up on top of the, the boat up there. It was up on the top. And they were talking to their husbands. They was talking to them, you know, trying to keep them focused. And they was talking, and all of a sudden, Chris just closed his eyes. He was, he was next to my dad, and I heard my dad call out for Chris's name, and he didn't know. I looked back, and he, I just seen him going under, so... remember saying anything because I knew it was nothing I could do and I know I had to stay focused and keep control Nobody was saying anything. Nobody was saying I can't feel my legs or or I can't, I'm, I'm terribly cold. Nobody said anything. It was just all happening so fast. 
and I grabbed Cedric. I was holding him in my arms, kissing on him, and all I could hear was, like he couldn't even open his mouth. I said, Cedric, I love you. Please don't leave me. And his eyes changed color in front of me. And at that point, I started shouting out, like, Lord, no, not Cedric, too. Not Cedric, Lord. And I heard my sister yell out for her husband. And that hurt. All I could think about was, you know, the kids. They have kids, so. What am I going to say to my kids? Like, he made me all these promises. And he's not here anymore. What am I supposed to do? And my sister, she turned around and she said, Sherry, now is not the time. Hold on. What the doc can do? <sighs> Holding on, you know, if they were drowning, I thought maybe I could help. But nobody was drowning. We was all up talking to each other. And then all of a sudden, they just gone. So my girls made me promise them I wasn't going to leave them. I said, I ain't going nowhere. I ain't going nowhere. I'll be right here. We're going to make it. We're going to make it. You know, we're going to make it. daddy he was in the water on the side at that point still and he started to get a little delirious dad started slipping out for a minute and uh me and my sister found a way to kind of rig him up to a piece of rope and hold on to him I took the rope that I was holding and I tied it around his belt. And that way she was pulling and I was pulling and that way we were able to keep his upper torso out of the water so he wouldn't swallow much water because he kept trying to go to sleep. And we were blowing air in his face because he kept saying, I'm cold, I'm cold, I can't get comfortable. And I don't know what time it was or what happened when I closed my eyes. I closed my eyes too. day three I'm worn out I'm an emotional roller coaster what I was hoping would end in one or two days you know just seems like it's getting longer and longer and negotiators are negotiating and I'm trying to figure out why you know come up here blast away let's go And then negotiators and inmate Wassner decide that, you know, they're going to get a full night's sleep. And I'm thinking, okay, this is my chance. If, if I can do anything, this will be the night I can do it. 
to give you an idea about how I was locked up, I had a pair of handcuffs. To the handcuffs was a pair of leg irons. Attached to the leg irons was a belly chain, and that was attached to a pole. So I only had so much movement in the tower. I was on a leash like a dog. And McCoy left my handcuff kind of loose. And so while the inmates are sleeping, both of them, um, I'm able to get my handcuff off. And I nudge Jason, say, hey, you know, I can go grab the gun. It's 10 feet away. I can blow both inmates. Are you with me? Jason's like, no, don't do it. And so I put my handcuff back on, and I just kept playing it in my head. You know, can I do this? Would I be able to do this? Realizing that I don't know how long this is going to be, if I'm even going to make it out alive. start building a relationship, if you will, from early on. The thing that we had in common was that I smoked and he smoked. And we started talking about family and relationships. And he told me, you know, when he started his life of crime at, you know, 15 and how his dad was never there, but his uncle Bob was. You know, I talked about a little bit of where I grew up to get onto his side and to gain a little bit of trust with him. You know, they say that if you can identify with the person who's taking you hostage, they start looking at you as a person instead of an object. I never had Stockholm Syndrome, though. On, on day four, uh, inmate Coy woke up and he started doing security checks around the tower. And he noticed that there was a cut in the fence because the tarp was kind of flapping open. And so he told inmate Wassner, and Wassner was on the phone to negotiators at the time. And he told the negotiator, hold on. And he set the phone down, went over to the fence, looked at it, and I'm thinking to myself, oh, God, this is not good. So inmate Washington picked up the phone, and he says, you know, you've really messed up, but not in those words. And you know, you're gonna pay for this now. Won't you listen to what's about to happen? Next thing I know, I, I did wake up, it was daylight. The girls were still up on the boat. But I don't know. I just said, I'm going to swim. I'm going to swim. He was saying that he was he was swimming to the shore, and he was going to get us some help because nobody was coming to help us, so he was going to get help. He was determined. He wasn't going anywhere because we had him tied up by the rope, but he thought he was swimming. He was moving his arms because the whole night when we were fighting the water. I kept saying, move your legs, daddy. Move your legs. Move your arm. He said, why I got to move my arms? I said, keep your circulation going, daddy. Stay up. Stay up. Like my brother, he knew we were going fishing. Maybe he'll think something wrong. Maybe he'll pass by the house. It's like I had all these thoughts going through my head about all these maybes. 
I was angry. Like the game warden always out here, where are you now? <laughs> you know, we have to fight this water all night. Where is everybody? Why are we alone? And then I noticed, I said, Lily, your stomach's swelling. She said, no, it's not. I said, yes, it is. His stomach swelled up. And he kept saying, Daddy, look, the sun, the sun out. He said, mm-hmm, I see it. I said, no, you don't. Open your eyes. He said, mm-hmm, I see it. And I smacked him. <laughs> when I smacked him, his eyes bucked wide open. And when his eyes bucked wide open, I could see the colors changing in his eyes. The outer sides of his eyes had turned colors, like Cedric's eyes had turned colors. And I was afraid because then I was like, you told us you wouldn't leave us out here. You can't leave us out here in all of this water. So inmate Washner picked up the phone and he says, you know, you've really messed up. You're going to pay for this now. Won't you listen to what's about to happen? And he sets the phone down to where, you know, they could hear what was going on on the phone line. And he had me and Jason stand up. And he took the shotgun and he pointed at Jason and said, you know, I'm going to blow you away. What do you have to say? And Jason's like, well, you know, just shoot me in the head and make it quick. And then I'm standing there and I'm numb, you know. And Washington points a gun at me and says, are you ready to die? When he points the gun, I'm more defiant. I'm more, you know, hard, non-emotional. And I said, you know, flat out, I've been waiting to die since the moment you walked in. And then he gets on the phone and says, you know, are you happy? You ever pull a stunt like that again? And you're going to lose both officers and just starts yelling and screaming. And, um, you know, I, I really thought for sure he was going to blow us away. Inmate Wasner was talking to a negotiator and uh, he wanted Subway sandwiches. The negotiator was saying, no, you're not going to get Subway, you're not going to get Burger King, you're not going to get any fast food. You're going to get what we're getting down here. And Wasner gets angry and he's like, all right, if you don't give us what we want, we're going to cut off her pinky. And so he yells to the boy saying, you know, get that object over there, uh, cut off her pinky. And he started pressing uh, the blunt object in between my pinky, the little bone right there, the joint. And he's pressing down on it, and I'm screaming and I'm yelling. And uh, the negotiator's going, you know, you don't want to do that. And so Washington's like, you know, well, what do you have down there? And he started describing roast beef, ham, you know, variety of breads and soda. And Washington's like, okay, fine. You know, send us up some of that. But if you ever do this again, you know, her pinky's coming off and it's going over the side. You give us what we want 
or we'll make it worse for them. I woke to Wasner telling me that Jason's gonna be released and what they're planning on doing is getting a bunch of food and some supplies for in exchange for his release. It's like, wait, you know, I'm a female. I've been raped. You know, I'm a single mom. You know, I should be the one going home, not him. And Corey told me that I was better bargaining tool. That I was a single female mom and they could get more out for me than what they could for a male. So while Wassner's upstairs, up on the top of the tower, inmate Coy comes to me and he goes, you know, if you have sex with me, um, I'll give you a two second head start before I shoot you. Now I'm thinking to myself, you know, if he does even give me a two-second head start. Where am I gonna go? I'm locked up like a dog. I can't escape. When the stomach swelled, I kind of lost a little hope there because it was like we had been there for so long and nobody has come to get us. We made him promise to not leave us and he promised not to leave us. But, you know, nobody's guaranteed tomorrow. I wanted to panic. I was panicking inside, but I couldn't panic outwardly because if I did, like I said, I felt like I'd lose control and then I'd probably be in pretty bad shape, you know. All of a sudden, out of nowhere, <laughs> this boat was behind us. We didn't hear it come up. We didn't see it come up just happened to turn and it was there sitting there I heard Sherry say daddy come a boat here come a boat and I didn't see a boat uh, I didn't see anything and then next thing I noticed this guy was in front of me it was a big old boat in front of me I don't know what color what kind of boat it was all I know is I saw this guy kneeling down, reaching his hand for me. They pulled up and they asked, you gonna be okay for a few minutes? And I was thinking, why are they even leaving us here? It's three of them and it's three of us. And my sister said, Sherry, they in there. We saw the body bags. We knew they had our family members in the boat. And I guess they didn't want to put us in the boat with them. And so they sped to shore and they sped right back. And they put us in the boat. By the time we got to the shore, the body bags were laying on side of the docking ramp. And um, I could hear my father scream out. He said, Callan! And uh, he, uh, he don't remember doing it. When I woke up, I was in the hospital. I don't know why. <laughs> They closed their eyes, woke up in heaven. I closed my eyes, woke up in the hospital. 
They had all these blankets and hot blankets and stuff on me. The room was really, really hot. And people were standing around everywhere. And a guy, one of the guys at the hospital, I don't know, an intern, or I don't know who he was, working for the hospital, he said 85 to 95% of people who stayed in water as long as I did, 85%, 95% of them don't make it. snatched a picture out of my wallet um, before um, Wassner went through it, a picture of my daughter, and I talked to it as if I was talking to her and telling her, saying my goodbyes, letting her know that, okay, I love you, I miss you, you'll be okay, you got family around. Uh, that's when I really started separating myself from my family and saying my goodbyes. When inmate Croy's Uncle Bob showed up, his whole attitude changed. His main concern was he wanted to see his Uncle Bob he wanted to hug his Uncle Bob. He wanted to, you know, have a conversation. That's when Wassner lost all control over Coy. And Coy started making up his own mind and saying, no, I'm done. Let's end this. There was no yelling or screaming about it. Um, it was what it was, and Wassner just had to deal with it. Inmate Wassner was telling me that today's the day they're going to end this, but if they don't follow the rules, we'll just keep it going. One of Wassner's last and final demands um, was for two steak dinners. They wanted a 12-pack of Heineken and a large cheese crust stuffed pizza. Well, they were finally talked down to two beers. That was their last and final demands. Wassner took the guns down. He had the AR-15. I was in the middle, and then Coy was behind me with the shotgun not on safety. So we came out of the tower. The uh, officers are telling Wassner exactly what to do, turn around, drop everything, uh, walk backwards, lay down. And then, you know, I go to start walking out and then I backed all the way up and I had somebody snatch me from the other side of the fence and I was out, out the gate, down the road by the time that the whole thing ended, on my way to the hospital. When you have something major happen to you, and you're not sure whether you're gonna live or die, and I know that this has been said Time after time, it's like everything that you took for granted is all new back into your life, and you learn not to take things for granted. And I took a lot of my family for granted, and I took my daughter for granted, and my freedom for granted. 
I have changed enormously. I survived because I look at myself as a survivor and not a victim. I survived because my family was out there and I needed to get back with them. I survived because I love life. The things that helped me survive that day, I thought about my sister kids a lot. miss Chris. I really miss my mom. My brother-in-law. But, uh, we were left here for a reason. So I gotta keep going. Making sure that everybody was okay helped me to survive because my mother meant the world to me, and so did Cedric. And my sister and Christopher, I survived because my children need me. because of my girls and because of God. That's the only way. I wasn't looking or thinking death at all. Even after my wife died and my two son-in-laws died, I was not thinking death ever. I was thinking life and live. We gonna make it. 